Amen. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 9. We have a few verses left uh, in this chapter that we'll be dealing with tonight. I definitely want to take a moment to thank those uh, who have been leading worship since Paul Q uh, has been gone. Uh, By the way, Paul and Heather are doing very well. Uh, planted in Atlanta, Georgia. God is using them greatly in their church. They're, they're, being, they're getting settled. Uh, but we do miss them. I, I'm so thankful, though, for uh, John Coates, uh, Thomas Swope, Pastor Paul, Les Litchfield, who have helped us with music and singing in the interim. We're, we are so blessed uh, to be able to have uh, people like this to lead us in singing. And uh, one of the strengths of Colonial, by God's good grace, I think, is congregational singing. We love to sing together. I mean, I love to include myself in that. We love to sing together. And it's philosophical for us. We don't want to do anything that would hinder the congregation singing together. It's not a performance up here. It's not a show up here. It's the congregation singing together. And so uh, I love that about our church, and we, we long to keep that going. I uh, just ask you to keep praying for the Worship Leader Search Committee. We're meeting again tonight. And it looks like uh, we'll be making some recommendations to the pastoral staff in the next few weeks. So, uh, like maybe in the next two weeks or so. So, pray for us as we meet tonight and uh, as we continue seeking who the Lord would have for our church. So, uh, that's exciting. I'm thankful for that. Uh, And then just a reminder of what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to preach through the text, the verses we have remaining. Uh, We will sing a song uh, uh, to kind of wrap up the sermon time. Now, I'm coming right back up here. And I'm going to uh, ask, allow you to ask questions that you might have of the, of the text. Okay, make sure they're questions, not like, you know, leading statements or anything. Uh, but I think uh, hopefully it'll be a good time of fellowship around the text. And, you know, hey, we'll try it this one time. Doesn't go well. We'll never do it again. Uh, uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what God does here. Uh, I'm actually really excited. About it. I've spent a lot of time studying these texts. I think it was over two or three weeks ago I started working through this text and I came to these verses we're going to look at tonight and I tried to just read them to my family like out loud and I found myself stumbling. You ever tried to read a text you haven't read before in a long time and I was just like reading them and there was so much about salt. It was like in every phrase and I'm like how am I going to preach on this in a few weeks if I can't even read it uh, to my family and you know, one of, the, one of my children said, I just can't wait until you preach about that salt text so we can figure out what this means. So a little pressure tonight. Uh, I've been praying for the rapture, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, we move forward. Uh, this morning, uh, we saw that Jesus is teaching here genuine followers about how they should relate to others in the community. And I made the point that I think that he's primarily dealing with those who are most vulnerable in the community. And he basically, if you've got your handout from this morning, uh, he makes the point in verses 18, or I'm sorry, verses 38 through 41, that if you're going to be a genuine follower of mine, you must not reject those who have proper, who lack proper endorsements or credentials. Uh, This is the tale of the unknown exorcist. Remember John, the beloved disciple, wanted to stop him. Jesus says, don't stop him because he gives some reasons. Just because someone doesn't have the same heritage or training as you, just because they don't have the same denominational background as you, doesn't mean they might not necessarily be proponents of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so this word is a good word for us too. We must not reject those who lack proper credentials, aren't part of our insider group. They do need to stand for truth, 
through Jesus Christ. But I think that's an important point for genuine followers. And then uh, verses 42 through 48, the text about hell, the fires of hell, and causing one of these little ones to sin, is a text where I think the second point he's, he's telling us is you must not abuse those who are vulnerable among you or vulnerable among my followers. But Christ has one final point from my perspective, verses 49 and 50. I think there's a transition that occurs here. And this is uh, number three in your notes. If you turn to the back, uh, you must endure the refining fires of trials and persecutions together. That's how I'm going to take the fire and salt text. You must endure the refining fires of trials and persecutions together. Let's read the text. I've been practicing. Verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. As we come to these verses, we come to some very interesting verses, right? Uh, Difficult. I mean, Christ is speaking frequently of salt here. And the question is, what is his point? Or what is the point that Mark's trying to make with these sayings of of Jesus? Uh, Do these phrases work together somehow? Now, many of the commentaries, if you pull them out, you pull them off my shelf, and I pulled off about everyone I own, (laughs) like on this text, they say that Jesus doesn't make one clear point with these texts, but what we have here is probably a collection of salt sayings that Jesus made at different times in his ministry. However, I want to suggest, I don't think that's the way that Mark is portraying it here, and I want to suggest I think there can be or there is a unifying theme that Jesus is trying to drive home in this text, and that Mark, in recording his words, would drive home for us as well. Probably to me the most elusive phrase to understand in this section And maybe in the entire gospel is verse 49. The text says, for everyone will be salted with fire. What does that mean? What does it mean to be salted with fire? Well, one of the commentators that I went to, um, I think two weeks ago, no, actually last week, suggested that there there are at least 12 different views of verse 49. Although, honestly, as I tried to make my way through those 12 views, it seemed more to me that the commentators were simply throwing a bunch of views against the wall, hoping one of them would stick. It's a bit frustrating. J.C. Ryle, the old commentator, faithful commentator, has commentated much on many books of the scriptures. When he comes to this verse, he is completely perplexed in this passage. He says in his commentary, he offers no comment on this verse because it's so elusive. I mean, think of that. Commentary, no comment. It's so elusive, can't figure out, I'm not offering any comment. The only comment he does give a little bit later on, he says, a definitive conclusion regarding this verse will not be attained until the Lord returns. And so we should just give up at this point, pray for the Lord to return. Well, I'm not content with that. I want to try to figure this out. So I think from my perspective, a key to proper understanding of verse 49 is the word everyone. 
As far as I can understand, I'm not summarizing the commentators' views. I actually, you know, many times commentators are really helpful, but uh, for, from my perspective, there are three ways you could take the word everyone. Everyone might refer to everyone who is cast into hell. Okay, this fits the context very well. From verses 42 through 48, Jesus has been repeatedly telling us about hell and the fact that those who abuse his followers and those, perhaps by extension, who reject him are destined for the fires of hell. It also makes much sense out of the the first word in verse 49 in your English Bible is the word for. I mean, when you see that word in your Bible, you should normally think it's giving an, an extended explanation of some point that was just made. Okay, so what I'm saying is this verse is attached to verse 48 by this explanatory, it's an explanatory note of some, some nature. And so this might be, uh, everyone here might be everyone who's cast into hell. You know, so he's talking about where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. So it could be that. Secondly, everyone could be the exact opposite, though. Okay, it could be everyone not cast into hell. You say, well, where do you get that? The thing that drives me that way, you look at verse 49, it says, for everyone will be salted. And then in verse 50, did you hear all the salt language over and over again? I said the word salt. Now, as you go to verse 50 in your Bible, it becomes evident that Jesus is at that point talking about what type of people. What type of people are salt? And are to be salty in this world. I mean, we think of Matthew, uh, Sermon on the Mount, even where Jesus describes disciples as the salt of the earth. Uh, why would he say, he says, have salt among yourself and be at peace with one another? By the time you get to verse 50, you know he's talking about believers. Okay, and so some people say that the everyone here is everyone not cast into hell, that in some way believers will be salted with fire. But uh, that's where, and I really haven't seen this in other places, I just want to suggest, I think that the word everyone simply means everyone, and that it it reaches back and forth. It's like the third way of viewing this. Okay, that everyone refers to everyone, every believer and every unbeliever. That is, this verse points backwards through the mention of the word for, connecting it backwards, and the mention of the word fire, Back to hell and the text before. And it points forward, the mention of the word salt points you forward. And so I think what he's saying is, in a time and place, every person who lives will be salted with fire. Uh, I'll first deal with unbelievers. In a time and place, every unbeliever will be salted with the fires of hell. I think we've already learned that unbelievers face fire, and they do so in a literal, eternal sense. We saw that in verses 42 through 48. In their case, to be salted with fire, I think, means to be punished in hell with fire. Be salted with fire means to be punished with fire. I think salted with fire is a phrase that I couldn't find anywhere else uh, in any writing in the first century. I want to suggest that perhaps it's just an idiom, that they would just know what it meant. And that one of the ways this phrase could possibly be used would be used of 
uh, people being punished in hell or hellfire. I think a similar use of this, uh, of burning with salt as a means of punishment is found in the Old Testament. So although I didn't see the phrase to be salted with fire anywhere, I did find a context where unbelievers are punished with uh, fire burning with salt. So I invite you to turn back there just for a moment. Go back to Deuteronomy 29 for a brief moment. This won't take very long. I do want to read some verses to you, but Deuteronomy 29. I'll try to be very clear with what I think is going on here, and I'll move pretty quickly. But Deuteronomy 29, verses 9 through 27. Here we have Moses reviewing uh, what God did in leading the children of Israel out of Israel. And uh, if you have a, a heading in your Bible, we see in Deuteronomy 29, a text that says covenant renewal. So as he's talking about the Mosaic covenant, he reminds them of the blessings that will come on those who are obedient among the children of Israel. And, and he also then reminds them of a curse that will come on those who rebel. Okay, so let's read the blessing part. Look at verse 9, Deuteronomy 29.9. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in the camp. From the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water so that you may enter into sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you Today, as his people, that he may be your God, he may, as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is not with you alone that I'm making the sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you've seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone and silver of gold, uh, which were among them. And, and so I think at this point in verse 18, he turns to remind them of curses that will come if you disobey the covenant. Verse 18. Beware, lest there, be any, um, uh, lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven and the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick. Verse 23. The whole land burned out with brimstone and salt. Nothing sown, nothing growing, where no plant can sprout and overflow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the fire and brimstone there. Admon, Zeboim. 
which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? What caused the heat of this great anger? The people will say it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom they had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing it upon it all the curses written in the book. So although the language to be salted with fire is not used in this text, we do have a text that talks about God deciding to burn their land with brimstone and salt as a form of punishment upon the people. And so from my perspective, for the unbeliever to be salted with fire means to be punished or judged by it like this text. Okay, now go back to the New Testament to Mark again. So in a time and place, every unbeliever will be salted with the fires of hell. Then secondly, in a time and place, and from my perspective, every believer, every believer will be salted with fire as well. In order to understand more about how believers fit within the everyone will be salted with fire. I suggest that this idiom can also perhaps be taken another way and that Jesus might be making a play on words here. To be salted with fire could also speak of being purified with fire. Being purified with fire. Uh, Now, what's interesting to me is this word salt, to be salted. Jesus makes a verb out of the word salt. That's the hard part for me. I still struggle with, you know, someday I'll see J.C. Rowell in heaven and we'll figure it out. But to be salted with fire, that, that verb... To be salted, which is one word, is only used in one other place that I can find in the entire uh, Old Testament, the Septuagint of the Old Testament. And you can write down the reference. We're not going to turn there. It's Leviticus 2, verse 13. In Leviticus 2 and uh, verse 13, this same verb, to be salted, speaks of any gift or sacrifice that Israel was to offer to the Lord upon the, the, uh, the altar. And so those offerings burnt on the altar were, were to be salted. Okay, so in that context, salt, when placed upon a burnt offering, was to be a purifying agent. Okay, and we think of salt like this in some ways together now. So salt in the Old Testament is placed on all the sacrifices on the altar combined with fire there and it was to be a purifying agent. So in my opinion we come to Mark I believe that Jesus is saying that his followers will be purified with fire. And I suggest that this is in reference to the fiery trials that purify believers and that make them distinct that make them like salt. One of the reasons I would kind of lean this way is I think I just reminded the fact of who the author of this gospel is and as he's reflected upon this. The author of this gospel is John Mark. 
And John Mark is dependent for his account of the life of Christ upon which of the apostles? You remember? It's been months now. Paul, uh, that's Luke. Peter, Simon Peter, okay? And uh, one of the interesting things for me is in 1 Peter, where Peter is describing the fiery trials that will, uh, believers will face. Matter of fact, one of the texts we read this morning, uh, Pastor Paul read for our scripture reading, was 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Let me just read you. You don't have to turn there. Let me read you a few of the verses. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not to mention a text we didn't read this morning, 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And in my perspective, I think that the gospel of Mark may be written within just a few years, two or three years within 1 Peter. And so Peter might have a, a hand in both the gospel of Mark and this text, and in First Peter, he makes it very clear. He describes trials as fiery things designed to test you. And so in Mark chapter 9 and verse 50, it appears to me, my opinion, is that the fires of persecution are intended in believers to make them salty disciples. That is, Christ makes his followers distinct, and he uses persecutions to purify and refine them. And so then we go back to verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? I think the, the, the main point of these analogies, he's just basically saying that, saying that now we need to function in ways consistent with the way Christ has made us. He's made us salt, but it is possible for followers to become less effective as witnesses, less distinctive. So he says here, don't lose your saltiness, or it'll be good for nothing. Another text says it'd be good for nothing but to be trampled under the feet of men. And then he gives this final concluding command, have salt in yourselves, which I think is him just basically saying, continue to demonstrate the qualities of distinctiveness that have been worked in you through fiery trials and persecution. Continue to demonstrate the qualities of distinctness. Have salt in yourselves as followers and live at peace with one another. And so I think the main point of verses 49 and 50, and perhaps the summit of this text is verse 49, pushes us to answer a question. The question is, Choose this day, choose you this day, how you will burn. Either in the, unquench the unquenchable fires of hell for all eternity, or in the purging, refining fires of testing and persecution that will make you salty, distinct witnesses and followers of the one who bore a cross. Will look like the cross bearer himself.
You see, I think what Jesus is doing with this conclusion, verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire, is that he's effectively eliminating any middle ground. You say, I don't want any fire. I don't want any of it. I want Jesus so that I don't go to hell. I want Jesus for security and comfort, but I don't want fire. And Jesus says, that's not an option. Everyone will be salted with fire. And so, men and women, will God use fire in your life to punish you or to purify you and refine you to make you more like Jesus Christ? And of course, I don't think this message would have been lost upon Mark's original Roman readers who themselves were going through great persecution for the cause of Christ. And so that's why I summarize this point. If you're going to be a follower of mine, Jesus says, you must endure the refining fires of trials and persecutions together. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace together. Let me close us with a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll come and sing, and then is your chance to ask questions, okay? So let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for the words of Scripture. Uh, Sometimes they are difficult. This text is a difficult text to read in modern English, let alone understand or explain. But we know that you have given to us the Holy Spirit of God that will enable us to understand the deep things of God. And so we've prayed this evening like the psalmist that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. As best as I can understand this text, dear Father, it seems that every person will be salted with fire. Whether those fires be the fires of hell that will come as punishment upon lost people. Or whether those fires be the fiery trials and persecution that Peter talks about. That will refine and test believers. I would pray, Lord, that as this text closes, that we would be salty. That we would be distinct, different from the world around us, purified by the blood of Jesus and the trials and persecutions that we endure. Lord, I pray that we would have salt in our cells in this assembly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.